0: Ooh. <laughs>
1: Good morning, you know it's Friday, it's 10 o'clock. I'm Babs Rawls-Ivy, and this is Love Babs, Love Talk. Guess who's in the studio with me today? This is going to be very interesting, because I've known, I've seen him around, I don't really know him, so I kind of met him at um, Common Ground when my kid, when my oldest son was a freshman there, so it's Anru Half Kenny. How are you? I'm doing well. Now you have to turn that mic all the way in front Coming of around. you. All yes. Right. And you have to put it like you have to kiss it. There you go. I'm all in
2: it. I got it. How are you? I'm doing well. Now, listen. Yeah.
1: You um, are the founder of Healing and Liberation Counseling.
2: Counseling. Counseling. That is correct. Like
1: I love that. Mm -hmm. Like I just like saying it. Yeah. So now what is that about? Healing and liberation. liberation.
2: Counseling. That's what it's about. It's about healing and liberation. So um, this is my private practice. I'm trained as a clinical social worker. Um I've been a uh and that's been I started grad school in oh six, so I graduated in 08, mm-hmm. Began working at uh Clifford Beers for about five years and then um transitioned to have my own practice. Um I've also been a priest in the Orisha tradition, which mm-hmm. is a tradition from the Yoruba people who are in West Africa, um since two thousand. Um I was raised as an activist and organizer by activist organizer parent um i've been an artist artist, a dancer and a woodcarver and a writer um actually had a i was just um saying earlier i was a dj at my college uh at a radio show (laughs) weren't Uh, we all yeah weren't we all djs in college (laughs) right that was nice I i had a reggae show this is up in vermont that was really that was an interesting time um and so my practice, right? Healing and liberation is... Because
1: those are, those are very definitive words. Yeah. So right? it's,
2: it's owning that, right? It's saying, um, so the intention is to address or heal the things that are in our way mm-hmm. so that we can be as free as we can. And I just do that trying to bring all of my tools to bear. So depending on... Um, the individual, the couple, the family, the organization, uh, the community, um, the intervention is different. Mm-hmm. So, um, for some people, so here's an example of if we look at uh, trauma. Right, trauma is everywhere. Everybody's talking about trauma. Trauma doesn't just reside kind of within. The individual, you know, it's not just a, the intervention are not just the, Oh, if I change how I think, if I change how I um, experience it or can resolve it, that solves it because there's, it is experienced and the cause of it it lives in different places. So sometimes there's ongoing trauma that -hmm. is based on oppression. And so the intervention on how we deal with, um, that is very different than if it is something that is like, oh, I got um, attacked by a dog when I was two, and now I'm
1: afraid, you know, I of, some, dogs. I'm afraid of
2: dogs. And I have these memories of that. Right? Kind of, trauma kind of amps it up, not just the kind of fears of phobia, but like you know, I'm having nightmares about dogs and these flashbacks. Right? So that those are two different. They live in different places, mm-hmm. and so depending on kind of what needs to be healed, right? I kind of bring different tools to bear on that. So
1: now would you say that you are sensitive to cultural competencies? Because <laughs> right? I mean, I see you sitting in front of me, your brother. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, does that so, factor in or?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, so t- I think the, so I'm again, this is where we get into liberation, right? That's and, what I was thinking. Exactly. So it's not just around. So cultural competency and kind of diversity are kind of key phrases and words that can mean everything or nothing, really depending on who's doing it. Mm -hmm. For me, and even the work I do with other clinicians, I've done also do some teaching. I've done some teaching at uh, the Smith School in their social work program, which is where I went, and do some advising now of students. It's not just cultural competency has this there's almost a feeling that you just, it's about learning about cultures that I'm Mm -hmm. competent about them. I just read some things and I know (laughs) the things and and that's, that is not it. Um, Having a real understanding of um, conditions and systems of oppression that are affecting people. um, And then where the liberation is, because the liberation from that is very different, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that is as much more around, um, connection to community, uh, resilience, strength, increasing capacity, addressing like to address issues of poverty and racism or the impact of, you know, white supremacy, addressing the, the impact and the systems of kind of, you know, male violence as a system is very different than I'm going to sit in a room and we're going to talk about how you were, um, abused by someone in your history. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the, the aspects of cultural competency have to do with having that breadth of understanding of those systems at play. It doesn't mean I need to know every single story of every single oppressed group or every different subgroup or demographic. But it's once I have an understanding that there are these larger systems at play, it helps me gain some understanding and insight um, that isn't about objectifying somebody in that information like, oh, So you're a black woman. I know about black women because I read this thing about black women and black women are blah, 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 blah. Right. It's, I have this understanding about what the intersection of you know racism and sexism have. So that can give me a different kind of insight of, and poverty Mm -hmm. has, um, well, so I'm adding poverty, right? Being a black woman doesn't mean you're poor, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. if I'm looking at how, um, these things intersect. I, I, I can have poor, a, I can have a very different okay. conversation. <laughs> I am poor. but That, that can be a really <laughs> unseen, but that can be an yes. unseen aspect. Right. So yes. that's, that's, I Absolutely. just wanted to be clear that in, in talking about it here in the moment that mm-hmm. it, you know, I'm looking at like, what is, what is seen? Like and you even make, that,
1: yeah. Like what you see and not making an assumption yeah. and not going by what you think you might know. Right.
2: So the other piece that's, that I always think is interesting is with that notion of assumptions. So when I sit with somebody, they look at me and they're going to make assumptions and I'm looking at them and making assumptions. And if we also need to remember to look at and investigate who we are, mm-hmm. and what we're coming with and what we want. So there are times when having a shared uh, identifiable demographic, whatever that is like, oh, look, we're both wearing glasses, <laughs> right? Right that might mean one thing to me and mm-hmm. that could mean something totally different from you. But if I make an assumption that, Oh yes, we're wearing glasses. So that means that, you know, we see the world in the same way. <laughs> we're going to jump. <laughs> I want to stay with that metaphor. Um, that's not really correct. Right. I can say, Oh, this is how, this is what it means for me. And I can kind of ask about that. Like, does this have the same meaning for you? Cause I may have some insight around that, mm-hmm. but I can't kind of leap to those assumptions. And so when people come to me, um there's two interesting ways it works out. Sometimes people are seeking me because they specifically want a clinician or do some healing work with them with a man of color. And they have an idea about what that, that means. That is so
1: powerful. Right? Like I can't even I don't even know how to wrap my brain around that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, which part? Which part? I,
1: the man of color mm-hmm. as the clinician cuz mm-hmm. I you don't Where is that? Where is that? Where does that exist?
2: Well, here. Here in New Haven. Look at that. Yeah, and and not many of us, but there are others. Um, And so what's what's interesting to me is um, sometimes people come because that's that's what they want, like they're seeking that. Yeah, and that has some meaning for them. I may or may not actually meet that. Okay. Oh, right, because there's an assumption, but there's an assumption right of what that. That Oh, you're a man of color. I'm gonna. We're gonna. To, to, or you're gonna be able to give this to to me or to my son or to my spouse or somebody. Uh huh.
1: Although, Anaru, it could be as simple as just the comfort level of knowing that there's somebody mm-hmm. of color.
2: Yes. Yeah. But regardless
1: of what the background is.
2: But here's the interesting thing about that: the person. So let's say it's you and I, right? Mm-hmm. So you're then saying, right? So you have some comfort. You come and you see me, and ah, oh, I can. Oh, just relax a little bit and sit here and be present. That is because you have made that decision. Okay. Yes. I have done nothing. Just showed up. Just showed up to do that. Okay. Right. And so I acknowledge that. I mean, that's a real interpersonal thing that happens, uh-huh. but there's a way that, um, I think that minimizes the the power that people have to, for their own peace. Now it is also true. That I've worked with people who are like, you know, women who are like, well, I don't know if I can have a man as a therapist because of their history.
1: And that that goes white or black, right? Yes. Like, it doesn't yes. matter. This is
2: just, exactly. This You're is a man, just a man. This is about <laughs> power and violence, right? Okay. And that's about, that's really about sexism right. also. Right. um And so that's also a way f- that's important to understand those, where those dynamics are about. And okay. even the, right, that like, ah, I can rest, right? It's like, oh, here's a person who is, you know, most clinicians and most people in these professions are white. So I was like, Oh, I can't bring myself here. Do they see me a certain way? Cause there's systems of power at play. And what I tell women, um, is that, well, if you can be in the room with me and not be so triggered, right. Then we can do something. Then we can work together mm-hmm. and actually in a way it can actually be more restorative because the relationship of you having a healing um connection to a male does more in the healing than just the kind of topic of healing that's needed like then than, then addressing the hurt wow. right if though Holy that person cow. is too triggered right to even be in the room like they they see me and the story is going and they're not present with me at all um then we can't do any work cuz you need a, you need to be present enough yeah Right. And so that's the same if we talk about any demographic, right? So some people, they come and they sit and they're like, oh, okay, great. And that's fine. And we're still going to get into the work and we're still going to address kind of ways that happen. But because of a shared demographic, um, there's a, a, another certain level of healing is not going to happen in terms of what the other is. Mm-hmm. But if we talk about, if we look at healing in one way as um, a negative experience with an other, and then we respond to then a reactive, and this, and then those people are the ones that hurt us. By having a a restorative or a healing experience with someone who we identify as the other, is has a deeper, more expansive level of healing than not. Hmm. Um, and that's, I think that
1: that's kind of interesting. I don't so so if you just take like black people, yeah, and do some work around racism mm-hmm. and healing mm-hmm. Is, does this apply
2: oh yeah so i'll use that example it's a great example so as black people we have experienced generations of oppression racialized oppression and we not and we continue to and we not only experience that from the outside people actually doing things to us in the present um we experience inside that's the internalized oppression right Sometimes we don't need anybody in front of us telling us we're less than we have internalized that narrative because that's the that's the soup that we're in. That's the air we breathe. It's the water we drink um, and that we're kind of constantly up against is this narrative of less than. That's that's what the system continues to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so one aspect of healing is, is kind of addressing that. Right. And there's there's tons of powerful healing to be done amongst black people and amongst black and brown people and people of color kind of in those shared demographics, right? These are the stories. And to me, it's important that it doesn't stop there because we also live with white people in a system that even if it's not, even if it's not run by white people, it's still a system of oppression of, of kind of white supremacy. There's still that narrative that's happening and the, um, institutions in place to to continue that if we have positive connections um where we're really seen with people who are white that moves our own healing and our consciousness even further really yes
1: Hmm. i don't know cuz otherwise that, otherwise
2: know. well otherwise the the answer is segregation
1: okay okay
2: Right. and and i'm um, not to even talk about how policies of that has gone to play because i think there were some um things that i've heard from people and just thinking about i think that there were some real losses of that happened with desegregation um and a fracturing of a lot of the positive things over in the black community um but i think that the the answer for our completeness and our wholeness does not lie in segregation cuz that's not a well, so it's, it's
1: ridiculous in the sense that we're not, I mean, we're we're becoming such a global
2: right world right. Well, right and and for me individually right so I'm a I'm a multiracial black man and so if my liberation does not include white people both for myself and for them then I am not really connected to my own wholeness because there are white people in my. Ancestry. And that's, and, but that's
1: all of us, though, right? Like, well, that's
2: what I'm saying. But that's it can't, all of that's us. Why, that's why the segregation model just isn't reality. I mean, nat- nature isn't that. Right. That's a good point. Right? Nothing else is that except the, the, what we have created. And we've created it as a response to oppression. Mm-hmm. I mean, this complexity is around, like, how we have conversations about race. And then it means we have to kind of buy into this definition of race, which is actually both an illusion, even though people's lives are at stake around it. I mean, it gets, it can get really confusing, mm-hmm. right. And kind of where you kind of draw those lines. Um, but I think that, so for me, it's been really um, liberating for me and for other people. And this is actually some of the shift I want to go on. Cause I, I really appreciate your, you know, this like love talk, right. So it's, it's want to ground it in that. Cause there can be ways that um, so many things get grounded in like, Oh, this, uh, like, Oppression, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. and 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 the,
1: oftentimes, black people. I think we've extended ourselves a great deal in this dialogue, mm-hmm. and I think we've not done enough self care of mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. to prepare for these larger, mm-hmm. deeper, ongoing conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: So yeah, so my my entry point into that is all about working with and and finding the love from our ancestors mm-hmm. and our ancestry. Um, because for many of us, unless without doing that, our heritage can also be full of so much pain Mm -hmm. that we don't really want to connect with it as a, as a living thing.
1: So do you think all these slave films, or as I like to call it, slave porn? Yeah. Are they valuable? That's not what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm talking about. No?
2: No. So what I'm talking about is, um, so indigenous traditions all over the world Mm -hmm. recognize that when somebody dies, when, uh, you know, you have an elder and that person dies, that the relationship does not end. And that, okay. in fact, um, which people know in their lived experience, just because, you know, depending what age you are, right, you can have a parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, whenever they die, if there's a connection when you when they've been alive... It doesn't end. I mean mm-hmm. that's a felt experience that everybody has. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, they're dying. and they're gonna and like, oh yeah, wow, I can't feel them anymore. I don't feel the love. I don't feel that connection. It continues mm-hmm. and it continues because it continues. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you sit and you connect with someone who you love, you know, you sit here right now, you can think of someone who you love who's not here and you can feel that real connection.
1: Oh, absolutely. Right?
2: And that's not in your head, mm-hmm. that's in your heart, and that's real. So
1: Aru, do you think that we've I think we've captured some of that? through the middle passage. Like, I think we carried some of that. Yes. Some of that, um, uh, ritual. Uh, I think when you look at funerals of black people, mm-hmm. or particularly when you're in new Orleans and you see the mm-hmm. what do they call it? The second, second line, second line. Yep. That's a whole kind of mm-hmm. hearkening back to something other mm-hmm. than
2: yes. Right. Yes. And so what's in, so here's the interesting thing, even with what you just said in new Orleans, one city, in this entire country country <laughs> has an explicit practice connecting to the joyfulness of life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Now whether the narrative continues beyond that, I mean in terms of the second line itself as as a ceremony as a ritual, um, I don't know. Um and it's certainly in a lived way that people have, right? Still put pictures on the mantle or maybe light a candle for someone who's who's died. So there's a there's that lived connection, but there's not an explicitness which means that there's a way as in general, I think individuals do that, there's, there's not a way in general that that's understood as a resource that we can actually tap into for our wholeness and our health in the present. Mm-hmm. Not just, oh, I remember this person and I feel these good feelings, but the technologies of of actually connecting with them in the present in an ongoing manner for our own Awakening our own unfolding Mm -hmm. of our lives, our own purpose, and our own Um, healing—not with those who have caused us pain—but we have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands thousands of ancestors, and sometimes because of two or one or three, we um, cut ourselves off from that, Mm -hmm. and that cutoff can be um, because of a of a family experience, someone who's been abusive, someone who's uh, you know abandoned. You know, all kinds of you know, drug, alcohol or suffering that's happened, trauma that's happened. But you also look at that as um, black people, black Americans who've, who've been here, because um, I think the experience of, kind of new, newer arrived Africans who become African-Americans is there's, there's a different story there. But for many of us, when we think about our history and our heritage, it gets to the South and slavery yeah. And stops. Yeah, And that stop is the, is the same because of, of a traumatic generational cultured mm-hmm. experience of what that has done. And by using the these uh, technologies, which are these traditional technologies, but also are very much alive now, um, there are ways that we can um, heal what we need to heal mm-hmm. to still access the beauty and the love and the the blessings that come from our ancestors who are just like, Oh, I just want you to have a good life and be okay. Right. Just like, you know, if we see, if we have, you know, uh, infants and children who are, um, who are relatives or who we care about and like they fall down, we just, Oh, we just pick them up. We just want you to be okay. Yeah. Or if we, if we're older and we know like a teenager who's like in the throes of like some drama, Yeah. right. We're like, I know it feels like it 's the world, but it's going to be okay mm-hmm. right because we have a perspective, mm-hmm. and our ancestors have that perspective with us, mm-hmm. and w- the ways that we can tap into that in not abstract ways but in real relational ways that's an aspect that leads that can lead to our healing but
1: but listen that's yes. a huge leap on because yes, because so much of our history mm-hmm. is not shared in mainstream Mm -hmm. academic stuff, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, so we have a disconnect. Some of Mm -hmm. us can't go back beyond big mama and then doesn't matter. Doesn't matter.
2: Doesn't matter. So what if you, so this isn't about, I know this name. And so I connect with that name Mm -hmm. because the relationship is again, it's this internal piece. So if it was only about, I know this name or I don't know this name, then it would mean that it would mean that, mm-hmm. like, well, I have no access. That means I'm cut off from my ancestry, which is not true.
1: Okay. That's a, di- I, I've and never heard it quite so, like that. So
2: that, so the reason is because that framework comes from indigenous people and as people of African descent, that comes from Africa. Mm hmm. Regardless of the, I mean, there's such a diversity in peoples, but there are common threads in terms of how people connect with ancestors, how people connect with the unseen, how people express their connection to God. I mean, that's where that comes from. So mm-hmm. that's, so that's the black church is the black church because of the connection to Africa.
1: I, I Yes, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Right? So there are
2: things that, that we carried in our blood, in our bones, not in terms of theology and understanding right but that we carried and a, a connection that we still carry up to today and so these things about accessing those as opposed to the the framework of our of this culture in the united states is not about that right mm-hmm. it's not about connection it's about isolation well it's, it's about certain people feeling isolated mm-hmm. and that's part of that's part of systemic oppression It's a dehumanization right i'm going to create a system that dehumanizes you. So you don't think that you're connected to anything else that is greater than what I'm telling you is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so the ways that people have thrived and s- survived and even had hope for something different is by this connection to another whole other way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, Ruby sales, I listened to a recent podcast uh, with her on, on being with Krista Tippett mm-hmm. and she was, she really spoke about um, black folk religion Mm -hmm. and something that's both in the black church, but not institutionalized in the same way. And she spoke about uh, black folk religion um, connected to ways that um, people who are enslaved would gather, you know, in these secret places in the woods or by the waters and pray together and connect together. Not, Oh, you're the one who knows is connected to God, but everyone is connected to these divine spirits and their ancestry long before there was literacy and connection to what the Bible was saying. But then with with the coming together, they became an adopting of the language of the Bible because that's what the, the culture was.
1: Mm-hmm. But gonna, we brought our own. But we
2: brought our own way of accessing yes. and connecting to that from Africa and from not just there, but from mixtures with the indigenous people here. These are these are all indigenous traditions that have a very different kind of fundamental framework around your relationship with the divine, your mm-hmm. relationship with your ancestors and the, the land and of place, which, and that's what we bring. That's what we have brought. And that's what still is in us. And actually to add a whole layer of complexity, people who are white have the same thing. Their connection is just a lot longer and further ago. Mm-hmm. So, black and brown people because of um, you know imperialism and colonialism and genocide, those things have hit us in the last, you know, 500 years, 600 years. Earth-based people, indigenous people who come out of Europe, that hit them a couple thousand years ago. Okay. So you have a much longer route of forgetting that has happened okay. with people of, of white ancestry. Okay. Um, and so it's not just... Um, the framework of kind of what is success based on the kind of current model of our society, which is, you know, success looks a certain way, right? It's, it's a, this reconnection with these values and these relationships. So when I talk about ancestry and healing, it's a reconnection with that relationship, not in our head, but in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And so just as today, you have people who aren't necessarily don't have the kind of, you know, uh, Cultural or theological understanding like, well, they got great grandma or grandma, so-and-so or grandpa or uncle and they're picked who passed in the pictures on the mantle and they just, I'm gonna light a candle every on their birthday every year. Mm-hmm. And there's a felt understanding that the connection is still there.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right? And all I'm saying is that there's actually whole practices and cultures and knowledge about what that is and actually different ways that we can use that. And so. To be specific, I work with clients all the time, particularly when there's um, I mean, it's easiest when there's a death in the family Mm -hmm. or um, when relationships have been fractured or something has happened when whether parents have died or whether it's something recent or something that happened a while ago and giving people language and permission to like sit by themselves somewhere, even if it's not with me, doesn't have to be with me really go into their hearts and seek that connection mm-hmm. and bring what they need in that relationship to that connection. So,
1: so how did you know you wanted to do this work? Right? Because this is, this is, this is a different kind of thinking around so, what you do. I mean, around yeah. traditionally yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. what you Popular do. Popular than like kind right. of
2: your traditional yeah. kind so of Western how do you, pathway. So when of, did
1: you say? You know what? This is, this is it, wasn't I'm that, called. It, it wasn't
2: that. It wasn't that literal. Um, it wasn't that you know. It wasn't like, well, you know, when I was in high school, I really wanted to grow up and be a something. Um, so one beginning of this came when I was in college, and I had um, my own real crisis. So uh, emotional crisis, spiritual crisis, physical crisis. I mean, I was in the throes of depression mm-hmm. and panic attacks. I was doing a lot of drugs and alcohol. Um, I'd never, I didn't have the emotional capacity to deal with the pain that I'd experienced in my life. Disconnections from my, from family, disconnection from my father, even just not the ability to really um, just be connected to what I needed. It was, it was always about why well, I got this mask to wear. Let me kind of cultivate the use of that mask. And then at some point like that just shattered. I didn't have anything to replace it with. And I just felt, isolated and disconnected and really didn't want to live. I mean, I was really suicidal coming out of that. So actually within that, some of the things that really saved me was, um, my connection to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, cause in nature, um, so I, I studied a lot of science growing up and nature. I understood the systems of nature, right? Oh, here's this, you know, whether it's like through ecology or biology, like, Oh wow, here's this thing that like works really well together and there's change all the time. You know, it's not a static thing that's like, oh, here's like a, a cube that I built and it just sits there. It's like, well, all this dynamic thing, life and death happening. It was also something that I couldn't con. Like, I couldn't just say like, oh, I want it to be a certain way mm-hmm. and go out in nature. And it just is like, you got to do it. And even if you want to do it, it may not happen. Mm-hmm. That's just that, how it's it, <laughs> just real. And the other thing was that, um, I didn't have to deal with people and their nonsense. Mm mm-hmm how they saw me, how I thought they saw me, how I wanted to be seen by them, how I didn't want to be seen by them. I could shed all of that. And, and it was amazing. I was realizing how much energy I was putting to that. Mm -hmm. That combined with the fact that I had an experience where, and all, you know, this. So I'd had, I'd had like, uh, these spiritual experiences, which I came to understand later. I didn't have any language for my I wasn't raised With, you know, how you navigate kind of a spiritual world or that realm, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it's in terms of dreams or whether it's in terms of like I'm hearing things or like I feel things and what I do with that without the norm, the normative piece in our society is that, well, then you're crazy. If you're seeing and hearing things that other people aren't seeing and hearing, Mm -hmm. you're crazy. That's a that's a step in the direction of illness, um, which is real. I mean, that's a real diagnostic. Although
1: I think some of us of color Mm -hmm. get that a little bit
2: yes you know and what i mean like because like we don't have that lived experience
1: right we don't automatically say crazy we're just like hmm yeah you right we we'd look mm-hmm.
2: at it for a little bit like, yeah and so that comes from our connection to that yeah without even knowing how to without understanding that there are ways and technologies to work with that and to assess that yeah and so for me even in my clinical training when that would come up my first response wasn't like oh this is a step in the Wrong direction. So I I had an internship at the West Haven VA hospital Mm -hmm. in the psychiatric emergency room. And we had to ask those questions. Are you seeing or hearing things that other people don't see or hear? And most people, when they ask that question, if it's a yes, that's stepping them into the illness bracket and that's the end of it. And for me, if somebody said yes, I would then ask, okay, well, tell me about it. And I had a, a wonderful experience with a veteran around that. And he was isolated, not didn't, wasn't addicted to any substances, depressive suicidal um it was a older black man living by himself and he said yes i said well tell me about it and it was just him and i in the room and he told me this story of, of waking up and seeing his grandmother who had died sitting at the foot of his bed reaching out to him and so i said okay well how'd you feel about that and he was like oh it was really reassuring really peaceful i said well had anything like that ever happened before he's like we paused for a little bit and they said well yeah like typically when someone after somebody dies in my family and I really like meditate on them and think about them they show up mm-hmm. um, and so we had this conversation about that and I said well you know there's lots of traditions where that's not a strange thing um, which he didn't realize and so there's even as what you say like there's ways that we know these things mm-hmm. but it's inside and you know, it's in the family we mm-hmm. won't tell anybody right. it's, it's, an, it's in, right. Sh- Right. <laughs> but it's that's
1: like, how i grew up like that right with that whole
2: kind of right this happens but you don't talk about yeah, it right and people. part of part of that talking is actually about uh the fear of what will happen yeah not just about being crazy but the fear of violence that comes with it yeah. but that's why things stay close and that's a res- that's the response from trauma that's a response from the trauma of uh what enslavement did to us in terms of dehumanizing that you can't trust and like who is, who's on your side and who's not. And it's, mm-hmm. and people can be taken away. Yeah. Right. You can be torn out, which, you know, you look at DCF and you look at the ways that that has been experienced by a lot of people is the, the fear of kind of mental health professionals in the mental health field of like, if I say something, they will come into my life and into my home and tear it apart. But my
1: ex-husband, um, mother was schizophrenic and she was, Uh, married to her second husband who was a military guy and he knew she was Mm -hmm. starting to have these um, episodes right and he took care of her for a long time before he even allowed her to be committed it got to the Mm -hmm. point where he didn't have a choice but it's that same sort of thing he didn't want to tell anybody right he didn't want anybody to know because he knew that it would would disrupt this family agree and it did i mean ultimately it did but But he went a long time with trying to
2: shield and protect, Yeah, you know. So there's that aspect, but there's always, and it's not to say though, that it's all good either, but it actually requires some assessment. And, and I think the, the, the thing that's unfortunate. So we started with even this whole question around like cultural competency, Mm -hmm. right? So part of the challenge is that many professionals have no idea how to actually assess for that.
1: I would agree. If
2: somebody says yes, they'll they'll either just be like, oh, well, that's nice. That's like you and your little land and it's benign. (laughs) So that's fine. I'm just not going to pay attention to it. Um, Or, hmm, really, that sounds like it's a problem. Maybe here's some medication at the very least that they may want you to be on. Mm -hmm. And what's unfortunate is that what gets missed out are the ways that that can actually be an access point for healing. So I worked with a, um, a girl and her family really is this girl's mom died. There's a lot of grief in the whole family clearly. And by working with her and being open with the family that they can actually maintain the relationship. People have permission to talk to her, to talk to this mom, to talk to the sister, to talk to that daughter, right? Cause it's the mom who died was also a sister and a daughter, but right? mm-hmm. so they can talk to her that they can, you know, as mothers, Day come, they can, and they had this curio. So they had like, you know, in their living room, they had her ashes and they, she was still there that they can bring flowers and what would they normally do on her birthday? Well, they would do these things and they could keep doing those things to allow that relationship to be there both for the relationship, but also for their own healing of the grief. And so I was able, so the first time I met them, we're having a conversation and I don't remember what they said, but they made some comment around like someone having a dream or someone heard a little something, but it was like, you know, if you weren't, if I wasn't listening and ready to kind of, inquire around that it would just been gone. And so I started asking questions Hey, you know, coming, Oh yeah, you know, we hear things and there are things turn on and off and we don't know why. And I was like, Oh, well how is the scene in your family? Is this like a better not do that? We better ignore it. Or this is like, Oh, this is just an understandable, a um, normal enough occurrence, mm-hmm. right. To not be freaked out about. It. And they said, yeah, this happens. And so by, by connecting with what already exists, the culture of the family, and saying, let me add to that. Let me give you some more permission to access what you're already accessing. Mm-hmm. They were really able to, I mean, this girl was able to really transform her, her relationship, but also how it was affecting schoolwork, how it was affecting all these things. Cause she could stay connected to her mother in a way that was healing and restorative and she can move through the grief. Wow. And the family was able to also have a restorative relationship with each other
0: mm-hmm.
2: with the ones who could do it. There were some who were, um, it was too hurtful and there was too much pain. They were like, I can't do it. And they were kind of really avoiding, which also meant they were avoiding their own feelings and their own processes. So, but because I was able to, and then I'm going to get back to like how I came into this. Um, I know you will. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, we started on this somehow. <laughs> but we'll that's, tie it you all know, that's the beauty
1: of a conversation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> um,
2: but, you know, this isn't just to say like, oh, if you do this one thing, all, it, it's all good for everybody because mm-hmm. we're all connected and deal with ourselves in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And so like for me, I didn't have the tools when I was in college. I didn't have the tools to really look at the ways that I was suffering mm-hmm. and what I actually need to do, what changes I need to make in my life. to take I like to take that. Care of that.
1: I, I like that. That mm. you didn't. I like that. I didn't have the tools. You didn't have the tools. I, to, didn't, I to, thought to... I
2: did. I, I was smart. I had, I had an analysis of like systems and oppression and understanding. I had, I was creative um, I had ideas around like, you know, dimensions and all kinds of other things happening, but dealing with my heart,
0: mm-hmm.
2: zero, zero tools with that. And, um, what I thought I was doing to avoid it was actually digging me deeper inside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the rebuilding had to come. So I had to make some really concrete choices. Am I going to live? Am I going to die? Am I going to be sane? Am I going to be crazy? Cause I could live and be like, well, I'm going to live, but I'll like be crazy and just kind of live in my head. Right? And I said, no, I'm going to live and I'm going to be sane. And so then it became, I need to figure out what this life actually is. Cause there was something, it was an experience I had of that. There was something in life that I didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And I thought I knew it because I was ready to, to leave it. Like I was ready to die. Like I feel so isolated. There's nothing here for me. I'm ready to die. And there's all this pain. And then I had this experience of like, no, there's something. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> I thought I knew it. I thought I had it figured out. And, yeah, hmm. and that created enough of a wedge and uh-huh. enough curiosity to kind of start me down this path. But to to get to where I was today, took took therapy, took going to go into like NA and AA meetings, to adult children of alcoholic meetings, to te- do reality checking. Like I think this is what's going on. Let me. Is this what you really said? No. Okay. That was just in my head. All right. Like there was a lot of work to get my feet on the ground to get stable, just to get functional. Cause I, I mean, I was having panic attacks. I couldn't go to cafeterias cause it was just too much input, too much information. Like my thoughts, the person next to me, the person across the room, the tray that fell in the, in the kitchen mm. and all that was just so like, like a
1: sensory you know, overload, sensory
2: overload. I was, you know, okay. way too much. So I had, I had to do a lot of work just to get functional. And then I said, okay there was stuff that happened, which was not tied to distress. That was not tied to drug and alcohol use and addiction. That was not tied to panic attacks or depression experiences I had. What was that about? And I then had my feet on the ground enough to then start to look at. And so what the, the kind of frame was nature based experiential Mm -hmm. systems. Mm -hmm. So Through nature, because that was a system that I could trust. Because I was like, people will tell you anything, (laughs) try to sell you anything. And I was like, I'm not not trying to get myself out of my hole just to follow someone else. So, what is the connection to the divine and through these larger kind of mysteries, spiritual stuff? Yes. Through nature and through my experience of it. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, well, let me start with my own ancestry. So, that's African, Native... Uh, Cherokee and Mi'kmaq, Irish and Swedish. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing research on like, so what were like the earth-based systems that they did? Cause I'm not the first person to think this. So what were the systems and traditions that were in place? And that kind of brought me down this road to like shamanism. This is like in the early nineties when there's a whole kind of the beginning of that movement before it was so common and it had some really powerful experiences. But that was like, I'm like dancing around a room with a lot of like middle-class white people appropriating a whole lot of culture and this doesn't feel right. The internal experience felt right. But the like, what it was wound up in just mm-hmm. felt right. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I was yeah, I can't do this. And I had a conversation with my dad kind of about the seeking. I was reading stuff all the time and talking to people about it. And he's like, oh, you should go talk to your cousin. And it turns out I had a, a cousin of mine um, who I didn't know very well, who was a priestess in the, in the Yoruba tradition, um, who was also in Boston. I was, I was in Boston at the time. And I went and met with her and her partner and they were priestesses and the kind of short story is that I ended up apprenticing with them and studying and they basically had like a community center. Elders were come from um, who were here in the United States, but also elders would come from Nigeria to come and really teach. And so I had access to a level of knowledge, not just of a practice, um, but a knowledge that really expanded Mm -hmm. um, my understanding and, 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 foundation and really connected to a tradition because i needed i felt i needed a tradition because it was you know like this shamanic community there's a lot of like ooh this feels right i'm gonna kind of pull from over here and this feel i'll pull from over there and that was that kind of appropriation which um and knowing myself enough i was like i'm just i won't be convinced that i'm not just making it up because i had i didn't have anything to hold kind of to hold me mm-hmm. and so then that kind of began uh a, a, the apprenticeship which was about i don't know about five years or so wow. um That's a good while. Really intense, really, yeah, pretty intensive practice, um, which then evolved. And so um, I studied psychology and dance as an undergrad, and I wanted nothing to do with the field because of the impact of insurance companies and drug companies. Um, And I went to, I'd been learning carpentry, so my work was then as a carpenter and a woodworker, uh, cabinet maker, doing restoration work. And I was in New York um, in the early 2000s, And then at some point decided, had a conversation with my wife and um, thought about going to then grad school so that I could look at. So I kind of jumped through a lot. So I did this apprenticeship and then I went to Nigeria in 2000 uh, Mm -hmm. with my wife and I did an initiation there into IFA, into one of the divinities. Um, So the Orisha tradition is a nature based. um, The simple description would be like a nature based polytheistic system. It's not really polytheistic Cause there's, there is this kind of ultimate divinity, but that divinity is so big because it created everything mm-hmm. that I can't really appeal to it because it's also created the things that I'm working against or that are working against me. So it's not necessarily, you know, it's like, you know, two people wanting their, their team to win in a basketball game and the divinity is just like, well, we, I just set it up. And so you can't kind of go to that cause well, why would I listen to you and not you like, um, but you can, <laughs> <laughs> there are other things you can appeal to, um, <laughs> And so, um, so I got initiated in 2000 kind of, and with my training kind of entered into that kind mm-hmm. of priesthood in that way. And I worked with people in the tradition and some outside of the tradition and then realized that there was kind of more work that I wanted to do and not just within that kind of subculture of a subculture, you know, cause the Orisha tradition, particularly here in the United States, is a subculture, it's a hidden, and it, it has been hidden in the diaspora just like many African systems mm-hmm. and traditions so that it could survive through slavery. Um, so in like Brazil, it became Candomblé and Umbanda in uh, Cuba, Lukumi and Santeria in Haiti, Vodoun. Mm-hmm. in Trinidad, Shango Baptist. Um, and there were ways that people in the United States could, were able to connect with their Africanness through Cuba. So you have the whole like, um, jazz movement, Dizzy Gillespie kind of connected as an kind of Afro-Cuban uh, music and connection to culture. But the connection to this tradition, the Orisha tradition, had had really been hidden and in some ways hidden in plain sight. So you're old enough to know I love Lucy. Um, mm-hmm. and Ricky Ricardo would sometimes be like, Baba Lu, Baba Lu, right? And that is actually connected to the name of an Orisha of an African god that he was singing as a way to let the other Cubans know, look, I'm holding on to this and look, I'm in the spotlight. And I'm still naming this thing. Unless you knew that, you're just like, oh, look at that crazy Cuban guy. (laughs) He's so wacky. Right? So it's a way that these things have kind of lived hidden. The traditions and the learning and the teaching has really been hidden in Mm -hmm. the diaspora. And it has gone on to also continue in, particularly with this tradition in, in West Africa and among the Yoruba people, though they've had their own impact of colonialism Kind of on the traditions themselves, as well as the impact of Christianity and Islam on those. Um, so my that was kind of my training. Then I decided to go back to grad school so I could get some additional training to work with people outside of just that one community. Mm-hmm. So you have the Orisha community, which is small, and then you have like, oh, these are the Cubans doing it this way, and particular Cubans these ways, and you from Brazil this way, or Puerto Rico doing it this way, or... Um, And then people who are learning, who've learned more from uh, Nigeria and the elders there are also a small community. So it's like a, um, I said, well, I can't just work with this kind of tiny community. I really want to get some other skills to work broader. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Smith School for Social Work um, in 2006 and got training there. And so now in my practice, I've been able to really bring together all of these all of these uh, tools Mm -hmm. to bring to people again, getting back to like, what is in the way and what do you need healing so that you can be as free as possible. You can have the life you want. You have the relationships you want. You can have the sense of purpose and meaning that you want. Um, You know, I I can't magically be like, Oh, and you want this job. Let me like get you this job or (laughs) let me eliminate poverty. (laughs) Right. But we can be real about what's actually hitting you right now.
1: So tell everybody how to find you.
2: Um, so cause I, I think people should find you. That's great. So here's, so there's a couple of things. So I also do, we focus a lot on kind of individuals and couples. I also do a lot of work with organizations around this impact of trauma, self care, identity, how kind of racism is, is kind of embedded in those even bringing um, notions on how they deal with relationships in the work. Right. Mm-hmm. So people who are kind of, s- not social workers by profession, but doing social engagement, right. Or, or justice movements um, often extend and overextend themselves because they, that's the need. God, right? yes, Right. Mm-hmm. And so really working with uh, people and organizations and systems to, to maintain relationships, but be able to set boundaries mm-hmm. to establish systems of self care while also being very real around what is the impact of their identity on the people they work with and even being consistent with their services. So that's a whole nother conversation, but I, I wanted to like the work that I'm doing is both this uh, individual couple family work, therapeutic work and healing work. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I work with people in the office. Sometimes we go down to the river and work there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an aspect of my work, but I also do you know consultation. There's some advising that I'm doing with students um, so, my website is healingandliberation.com. healing called, and liberation dot com i just
1: that 's just i just love that yeah and there 's so, more
2: information there about the things i do and so also for in a real way, like right now, my practice is full, which is a, a wonderful blessing I have um and I used to keep a wait list, but that was a lot of work for me to do because it 's really, right now it 's a practice of one um and are ideas that i have about building a, building a collective of other people who are regardless of what they do have that same notion of healing and liberation mm-hmm. as a um as a thread who mm-hmm. are skillful have some integrity and they might be activists they may be organizers they may be artists they may just be regular folk um but that's also happening um this has
1: been a fascinating conversation so before mm-hmm. i let you go yes i want to know um where do you see yourself moving with this? Like, what is the bigger picture for
2: you? <laughs> so like my life,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and my life, that's kind of always been it. And, and actually being reminded, um, that I have to, I actually have to focus more on my beingness mm-hmm. and not my doing And so I don't get caught up in like that's all these all things I'm going <laughs> to do. Right. But that's, you know, but I find that's like real you know, it's real, it's real. And it's not just like, Oh, I want my job to do this and my career to do this. Like, you know, I want to be the kind of parent that I want to be, the kind of husband and friend that I want to be. I want to keep working on my own healing and growth mm-hmm. and unfolding in my life. I want to do more, you know, workshops with people. I do you have to, a book? Not, any, I'm any working on it. Working yeah, on yeah, it? Yeah, I have. It's a, it's actually, and that's actually about kind of five generations of um, half Kenny men and uh, all these notions of what's been passed on. Good, so you have to come other. back
1: because I yeah. I love the name. And I want to know the history yeah. behind the name because yeah. I know there's a oh, story. Oh, half Kenny. Yes. Yeah. Well, the first name too. Honor. I mean, I'm there. Is, there are
2: stories. with That's you yeah. know,
1: that's an interesting name.
2: Yeah.
1: And, and half Kenny is its own interesting name. Yeah. So you know, it's been a pleasure has talking been really to you. Nice.
2: Yeah. Thank you this for is, this opportunity. I hope you come back. I'm I'm happy to come back
1: because this was a good. Co- yeah. I I think I talked less on this show than I've ever talked on any show. It's just been. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> just been fascinating uh, i just love this and you know i do this work i d- i'm a spiritual director by ch- training mm. right? certified i spent time at this mercy spiritual s- school of spirituality mm. so so everything that you were saying was so resonating mm. with me and i thought yeah. oh yes, yeah. yes 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 so no, so yeah you. so yes you must come back yeah. seriously yeah, I'm, I'm so that serious. we can I, have more yeah, conversation about this and um and um have a bigger conversation because this is yeah. really rich yeah and you. i think these are the kinds of conversations that we ought to be having i agree you know that that we that we get that get lost in the bigger the bigger conversations about yeah mental health and self-care but this exactly. is real intimate exactly you know?
2: i agree so thank you that's so where much. it is that's that's if we're going to be here let's really be here yes and let's really see what it's like to be a person yeah let's do it yes
1: thank you lucy Gelman, mm. for producing today Thank you. And uh, Andrew Hafkin, you are amazing. Oh, thanks. So it's Friday. We're leaving. And uh, I don't know who I'm talking to next Friday, but y'all know I talk to the most interesting people. So play me out with some Johnny King because it's Friday and that's my jam still. Thank you. I want to dance.